0: Incredible creatures that defy evolution today. Guys, we're going to be talking to Dr. Job Martin. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Guys, yeah, this is Michael Bohm, and today we're going to hear part two with Dr. Joe Martin. Uh, his website, again, BiblicalDiscipleship.org. And uh, I was first t- uh, turned on to uh, Dr. Joe Martin because I had purchased uh, one of his videos, Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution. And it turns out that after this first one, he released two more, so there's three of them now. In these videos, um, him and another uh, uh, man named David Hames got together in this video and went around the world, showed different uh, creatures from different parts of the world that in one way or another, many ways, are absolutely fascinating, amazing creatures that could not have evolved From one random mutation to the next to be what they are today, if that makes any sense at all. And uh, now, uh, some more videos that they have released, this ministry, Creation Proclaims. I don't have these videos yet, and I plan to get them. They sound pretty fun. And then it sounds like Dr. Martin is also working on uh, a new series about uh, creatures, basically, that defy evolution, but in Alaska. So I'm really looking forward to that. Something new and exciting. You know, as as technology gets better and better, cameras get better and better, these types of videos uh, just get that much more fun because you get to see these things in real uh, vivid color and and awesome pictures of that, you know. So anyway, uh, in these videos, he does an excellent job. There's just so much that glorifies God out there. It's it's really fun. But today, in part two, we're going to be hearing more from Dr. Martin. Uh, you guys are going to love this, especially hold out until the end when he starts talking about this crimson worm. Uh, probably, you know, and, and I popped this on Dr. Martin before the, the interview. I wasn't even aware if he knew anything about this crimson worm or not, Uh, But I had heard about it from other studies, and just right before we started recording, I said, uh, you know, do you know anything about this crimson worm, this toloff? And just like that, you got to understand, I I just wanted to tell you that, because he was not forewarned about this particular creature. I warned him about the other ones I was going to ask about. This one, he was completely unprepared, and he will blow your mind with his answer. Uh, We're going to have... Uh, Not only a study in creatures that defy evolution, but when we get to the crimson worm, we're going to look at the prophetic significance of this worm and how it ties into the Bible. No joke, this is not scripture twisting. You're going to love this, how Dr. Martin will tie in this worm and how it's mentioned in the Bible in relation to Jesus Christ and how it actually mimics several parts of Christ's uh, crucifixion. And resurrection. And as an added bonus, this is mentioned in one of the Psalms written about a thousand years before Christ's crucifixion. And long before, way long before, crucifixion was even a thing. Okay? This is gonna blow your mind. So, anyway, without further ado, uh Let's go ahead and jump right back in where we left off with last week's interview with Dr. Job Martin. Speaking of of friends like dogs and cats, uh, (laughs) I have a friend that hangs out with me sometimes when I go fishing and uh, is also one of my best friends in my garden, and that would be the earthworm. Uh, These guys, you know, as far as my garden goes... uh, What's interesting about them, if you throw organic material on the surface of your garden, what they do, uh, if you do this in the fall, they will come up to the surface and they'll start tilling the garden for you. They start making all of these little, you know, worm tunnels. And all the while, they're dropping their wonderful slimy goodness everywhere, which is very Uh, nitrogen-rich. It's a great fertilizer. But now you've got all these little tubes, which then, when it rains there is more pathways for the water to get into your soil and not run off onto your, your grass or whatever else. Um, they, they work great for the garden. But uh, in one of the videos, you talked about many other things that the, uh, that's amazing about the earthworm. Uh, tell us about the earthworm.
1: Well, they are, uh, they're uh, amazing also. They can be in really hard, packed dirt. Well, how are they going to build a tunnel through hard-packed dirt? Well, they can take their nose down to just like a a needle point, and then they spit out through there. And they soften the dirt by spitting on it. I I don't know if you'd really call it spitting, but that's basically what it is. And they soften it up by moistening it, and that way they can get their nose started in there and... uh, pull through, and, and then they eat uh, dirt and things as they go, and it kind of passes on through and becomes good fertilizer. But you're right about those uh, little tunnels that they form, and that uh, enables trees. The roots, uh, many times, they'll find worm tunnels, and the roots can grow down through there, and the water comes down through there, and the nutrients can flow down in there. and um, But the worms can regenerate. Uh, like moles like to eat worms and moles might have a like a little pantry they'll dig down under there down under the dirt and they'll catch worms in the spring summer fall and and they'll put them in their pantry and they'll usually uh do something like chop their head off and so there they are they're down there but they're down there for a while and then they'll start growing uh, a new head and then uh many of them, that the mole doesn't get back there to eat. They'll grow new body parts, even a new head, and then they'll fall off, and, and they'll do just fine. It's, um, it's amazing. They, they have oh, upwards of seven hearts, and so you can kind of almost section them, and if, as long as there's a heart in there, it'll, it'll regenerate. Uh, it's, how, how do you explain those kinds of things? Why, why can't everything do that? I mean, if I got my arm chopped off, why can't I grow myself a new arm? And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's things that would be beneficial, I think. Uh, and maybe, maybe there are secrets there that nobody has yet discovered. That uh, See, most of the research that's been done on animals, most of what I've learned about animals, has been done by the evolutionists. There are very few... Uh, committed biblical Christians that are, well, maybe they're there, but they aren't publishing anything, or maybe they aren't allowed to publish it. Maybe, maybe they learn things, but then it's, it's covered up somehow. But I, we need young people that would get on fire first for the Lord Jesus and learn to love him with their whole heart and mind and soul and strength and body and then decide, you know what, I am going to go and I am going to research this particular thing, and I'm going to tell the truth about it, and I'm going to see what the Lord is going to show me about this, and there's some things here I know might be helpful to humankind, and and I'm just going to publish it like it is, and then I'm going to give God the glory for it. I think the Lord's waiting for young people to kind of come along and do
0: something like that. Step out in faith and Yeah, show the glory and the majesty of, of, of God and what he has created.
1: Yes, yes. Well, it's like uh, a missionary from uh, Brazil was interested in things, and he told me uh, about the Brazil nut and the fact that uh, you've got that big tree, the Brazil nut tree, it's, it's one of the two trees that holds up the uh, canopy in the Amazon rainforest. It's a huge tree that 180 to 230 feet tall. They're not the tallest trees. We have the tallest ones here in the United States, uh, the giant redwoods and the sequoias. But anyway, that tree, which helps hold up the canopy, the uh, Brazil nuts form in like a big pod. It's about the size of a large coconut, and it weighs up a, about five pounds. and It'll be up there 180, 200 feet up. You, you don't want to be under one, under the tree if one of those comes down. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the seeds, the nuts, the Brazil nuts form in this pod, and the pod is so hard, it's like cement. When it hits the jungle floor, it doesn't even break open. So then you would say, well, how are those seeds going to get out? Well, God made a little animal called an agouti. It's a little rodent. And the agouti likes to eat Brazil nuts. And he'll find those pods and chew in there and get the nuts out. And, uh, and then he'll bury some, thinking I'll eat it, and then forgets where some are. I guess that'll be the next generation of trees. But we're, <laughs> we're here, I'm here in Texas. We have all these pecan orchards. So some farmers in Brazil decided, well, let's have Brazil nut orchard. So they, they got the trees. They, they planted. The trees bloomed. No nuts no nuts. Why? What happened here? Because they bloomed. Well, it took several years for them to discover there's only one insect that pollinates the Brazil nut tree flower. And it's called the Brazil nut long-tongue bee. And the reason is, the pollen in the flowers is down in a spiral tube on the Brazil nut tree, and it's sealed shut. It's like a lid on there. Well, the Brazil nut long-tongue bee will go there, and it has a very strong jaw and a very long tongue. And it'll go there, and it'll lift the lid with its strong jaw that covers up the pollen because the wind can't blow across it and pollinate it. So like an apple tree or a peach tree, the wind can blow across it and pollinate it, not the Brazil nut tree. So the bee will go. He'll lift up the lid. He'll stick his long tongue down in the, in the spiral tube, get out the pollen, And as it goes from tree to tree to tree, it pollinates the flowers. They they finally figured that out. They went out in the jungle. They brought in the bees, and and sure enough, they got Brazil nuts for one year. The next year, no nuts. Why? Well, because all the bees died. Why? Well, it took several more years for them to discover. In order for... Mrs. B, to invite Mr. B in the house so they can have baby bees, Mr. B has to go to a particular species of orchid, get the scent of that particular orchid on itself, I guess it's his cologne, and then Mrs. (laughs) B will invite him in. So in the jungle, you have to have the tree, you have to have the bee, you have to have the orchid, and you have to have the agouti, and they are in what's called obligatory mutualism. They all are totally dependent on each other, and if any of the system dies or or goes out, the whole system goes out. And so how would that evolve? It's a mutual dependence of a bee and a flower and a rodent and a tree. I think only God can think those kinds of things up and then design it and create it and make it work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know it was it's almost like god knew that this theory was going to come along thousands of years later and uh he placed things within his creation that clearly uh, make a monkey of of this idea of evolution uh that is just fascinating i love that well yeah um something else that you talk about okay you you mentioned earlier The idea of vestigial organs um, that somehow, you know, over millions of years of evolution, uh, animals and humans, for that matter, have evolutionary junk left over in their body. So uh, I remember when I was uh, going to school, and I think they still teach, that the appendixes is vestigial. Uh, when I was five years old, my tonsils got a little bit swollen, and the doctor said, it's okay, it's vestigial, and uh, convinced my parents to have them removed, yep. which uh, now I you know, get sick easier. Yep. Um, <clears throat> all these different organs that, turns out, they called them vestigial, they called them junk, but now they're coming to find out that uh, they just didn't know what they did. Right. Uh, and and now we know that all these organs are not vestigial. They have functions. So then they retreated to a new idea, junk DNA. But that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but uh, something that I have heard from various evolutionists, um, the, the I hate to say it, but sometimes the angry atheist crowd, um, is that uh, the wings of an ostrich and penguins, for that matter, are vestigial? Uh, tell me about ostriches. What's up with their wings?
1: Well, um, first of all, if they're vestigial and they're getting smaller, uh, which is what they say, and they don't, they, it can't fly. What kind of a bird must it have been <laughs> if? If there's some left over here and the wings have gotten smaller, that must have been some huge bird. But anyway, (laughs) the wings, it uses its wings for all kinds of things. Uh, They can run very, very fast, and they use their wings to even propel them as well as to slow them down. When they want to stop fast, they just hold them out. Uh, They use them as air conditioners. They will, uh, on the hot uh, African... Wherever they live out there, they will uh, on hot days they'll, they they kind of fan them and they'll hold them out and let the air circulate under there, and uh, and another interesting thing they don't have any oil in their in their feathers um, they don't have the oil glands that oil the feathers like ducks and almost all other birds, and so that's good because that would be extra heat also, but yes they use their wings. For all kinds of things, and they all even put their head under their wing on a cold night and keep their head warm, and and um, so because somebody just says something is vestigial, it's just left over that it is it's not useful. Um, they they're going to have to prove that. Matter of fact, when I went to college back in the uh, late 1950s, we were told. That the human body had 180 vestigial organs, things that were left over from previous days of evolution, from fish to amphibians to reptiles to birds and mammals and, and humans, and uh, but now they 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 have found uses uh, for all. I would say all of them. There's. There's a couple that you might say, well, maybe not. But I think all of them, there's definitely not 180, like I was taught. And there's definitely maybe 179 that they have found functions for. And the tonsils is part of your immune system, too. And, yeah, mine, too. I got mine out, too, back in those days. that They used to take them out of almost everybody. Now they don't do that. No, 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 you need those tonsils. So they usually don't take them out anymore. Uh, unless they get infected and have to go. But anyway, so we have... uh, It's the same thing with the genes. And they'll say, well, there's this junk uh, DNA, junk material in the genes. Well, now they're finding more and more things that aren't junk. Oh, my, that one really turns on this one. Or that one helps turn off that one. When you get to a certain height, well, that one, one, we didn't think it did anything. Well, yeah, it, it helps to turn off this or that. And so... I think with uh, the way science is going, more and more science keeps proving God's Word is true. We ought to just believe it, and it'd save us a lot of time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that is so true. Um, you know, going back to ostriches, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I, I just popped in my head here, but uh, there's a, a field of study um, that has kind of popped up amongst uh the creation science movement, called bear this idea of studying the different created kinds of animals. And I'm curious if you're aware of anybody who has done any research with the ostrich, and I'm wondering if the ostrich has the ability to interbreed with any... I mean, the ostrich is so big. I'm kind of curious. I mean, is there any other kind of big animal or or bird that uh, might be able to interbreed with the ostrich is there has there been any research in that area that you're aware of I'm not
1: aware of any but that would be an interesting thing to do Uh, and it could be done uh, in the lab taking some ostrich uh, sperm and putting it in the egg of a some other kind of bird and then Mm -hmm. see what happens there they, maybe they're doing that kind of thing. I don't know.
0: Boy, that would be fascinating. That would be fascinating. Okay, well, there's there's something for somebody out there who, yeah, who wants to uh, discover something completely new. Yeah. Um, boy, yeah. Uh, okay, so so speaking of birds, I have a particular problem with a a uh, demon of a bird <laughs> called a woodpecker, yeah. and this horrible creature lands on my house at 5 a.m. and i just got my house painted and you know that's not cheap and this guy starts pecking holes in my house which um i'm starting to wonder okay does that mean that there's some bugs in the wall because they always go to the same spot i don't know i don't know uh we've already fixed a softball size hole oh boy. that uh oh yeah oh yeah um so I say with gritted teeth. <laughs> Tell me about this amazing creature, the woodpecker.
1: Well, you know they have uh, uh, paint that is attractive to woodpeckers that painters like to use because that means you have to get your house painted more often. No, that's oh. that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> but oh. anyway, um,
0: oh man, I'm putting on my tin foil hat. Man. There's a conspiracy <laughs> here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, well. They are. They're an incredible uh, little creature, and most birds, you know, have three toes out the front, one toe out the back. A woodpecker has two out the front and two out the back. That's so it can walk upside down, right side, up, sideways, any way it wants to on a tree. It also has a different kind of tail feathers. They're, they're more resilient tail feathers, and they'll tripod themselves with their tail and their, and their two feet when they're pecking, and, uh, and that gives them stability. It also takes in some of the shock. Because they're hitting the tree with a lot of force, they have like an industrial strength beak. It's a stronger material than other birds. Otherwise, it would shatter. First time they hit the tree, and and uh, and they have a shock absorber between their beak and their skull, which is like a piece of cartilage there that that takes in some of the uh, shock of it all, so they don't go home every night with a headache from banging their head on a tree all day, and. Uh, their brain is attached in ways that uh, I've been places given talks about the woodpecker and things, and a brain surgeon will come up. Boy, you know we have studied woodpecker's brains to see for trauma victims how we might put things back together in there and help them hold together. Um, they have a their skull is a is thicker per body weight than any other bird, and so that is a help with the way they're pounding their head. And then their tongue is different than any other animal, as far as I know. Their tongue goes uh, um, kind of, uh, well, the average woodpecker, it's attached somehow. It goes, how does it go? Uh, It'll go out the back of the neck. Uh, It goes up over the top of the skull, under the skin. It goes out into the uh, beak, uh, uh, on some of them at least, through a lot nostril, and then it goes out through the mouth, out through the beak, and uh, it's, it's like, where on earth does that come from? And then most birds can get their tongue to the tip of their beak. Well, the woodpecker can get its tongue uh, as far as some of them, as far as 10 inches out of its beak. And you'd say, well, why, why that? Well, because it's going to, like, tap on a tree. It's going to find an insect tunnel. It's going to stick its tongue down in the insect tunnel and get lunch. It's going to drag an insect out of that tunnel. And well, how does it do that? Well, uh, there's different configurations on different woodpeckers, but they'll have, like, uh, serrations or little barbs little uh, backward-aimed barbs on their tongue, so when they stab a a bug down in there, uh, it'll hook it. Uh, Or uh, some of them have a a glue. They'll literally glue their tongue to the insect and drag it out, and that's a problem because if they didn't have a, a salivary gland that has the right kind of a solution to dissolve the glue and they try to swallow the bug, they're going to swallow their tongue and choke to death. So that had that <laughs> irreducible complexity again. That had to be there from the beginning. And um, so you look at a, a woodpecker, and every aspect of it is is very specific. It's unique uh, in the bird family. And where did it come from, if evolution is true? Where do woodpeckers come from? Uh, <laughs> How did they get all this equipment? Well, I think I had to put the information into the wood and its genes, and there it comes. It's like the, the slow loris. Have you ever studied the slow loris?
0: I apologize. You, you broke up right when you said that. Have I ever studied what? Uh, the slow loris? No, I haven't.
1: Okay. Well, it's the only venomous primate. It's In the lemur family, it's a primate, but it's venomous. It has venom glands under its arm. And when it needs the venom, it quickly licks the gland, and that gets the, the venom in its mouth, mixes it with saliva, and then it our creator puts some grooves on the back of its cuspids, its eye teeth, and when it bites in, it takes the tongue and squirts it down those grooves of venomous Ooh. primate. Now, the reason you haven't heard of that, is because of, of Romans chapter 1, where it says um, there are these ungodly, unrighteous people that hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they, they know something, but they hold it back. They suppress it. And well, what do they know about? Well, in Romans 1, verse 19, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Well, how did he do that? well, it says in verse 20, for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How do we see that? Being understood by the things that are made. Uh Uh-huh. So, if we study what God has made, that's going to make us see things about God. Well, what if we study something that doesn't fit with man's idea That we got here without God through evolution, like a slow loris, the only venomous primate. Where did that come from? How did that evolve? How could that be? There's no other venomous primate. Well, okay, so what we'll do then, you see, we'll just hide that truth. We'll hold that truth back, verse 18, because we don't want people to know the truth. We want people to believe the lies of the devil, which is what evolution is, even though I believed it half my life. And so we have these animals that nobody ever gets to know the truth about these animals, or they don't even get to know the animal exists. Like most people never even heard of an, a slow loris or a weta, a little insect that freezes up solid in the winter and then thaws out and walks away in the spring. Or a um, eye I down there in Madagascar. It's another primate. And it, it does what woodpeckers do, because there's no woodpeckers. And then you have um, things like a uh, a gibbon that has a 370-degree shoulder joint, so it can get away uh-huh. from a python up in a tree by just keeping going in the dr- same direction, never have to let go. And it can turn all the way around and keep wow. going. Um, it's amazing. Just in the primates, the total, absolute differences between them, and evolution has no explanation for that whatsoever, other than, oh well, just give us enough time and it'll happen. But they know it won't happen, because that's why they won't put it in the textbooks. They won't put it in the media. You, you just don't get to hear about these things, because they don't have any way to explain it, so they censor it out. I think it's a shame.
0: It is a shame. And, and with all of these different creatures that are out there, there is no uh, intermediate species. There, There's no transitional fossils exactly. that we're finding that are, I mean, we shouldn't just have a few, we should have billions of them. We should, we should have, I don't know, maybe even trillions of them. We should have everywhere we look, we should be finding transitional fossils. Yeah. I mean, they should be everywhere, well, uh, And we don't. Everything is fully formed when we find it.
1: And fully functional. That's right. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, you know what? On my end of things, time's kind of running here. I wonder if I could talk about a little animal called a crimson worm. Please. Well, uh, it, it'll be three years this uh, Resurrection Day, Easter. I was asked to give a little devotional at a church on a Friday night, before Easter Sunday, as it's called. And uh, so I thought, well, okay, that's crucifixion day. I'll look at Psalm 22. So I went to Psalm 22, and that's the psalm that uh, says uh, Jesus, this is the crucifixion psalm, and it's the one where Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And what he said when he was on the cross. So it's things that Jesus is either thinking or saying out loud or talking to the Heavenly Father about. And so in Psalm 22, when you get down to verse 6, Jesus says, But I am a worm. And I thought about that. I thought, but that's weird. Why would Jesus call himself a worm? So I looked up the word. And the Hebrew word that's used for worm is not the normal word for worm. Uh, He uses the word tolaoth, not the word rimah which is the more normal word, And so I thought, Tom, oh, what is that? So I did a search on that. It's called the crimson worm or the scarlet worm. And uh, so Jesus is identifying himself when he's on the cross which, with this worm called the scarlet worm or the crimson worm. So you'd say, well, why would he do that? Why, why would he say, I am a worm, I am a scarlet worm, a crimson worm? Well, here's what happens. When the mother worm is ready to lay her eggs, she climbs up on a tree and attaches herself to the tree. Jesus was attached to a tree, and she willingly attaches herself to the tree. Jesus was willingly attached to a tree. He could have said, he could have called down legions of angels if he wanted to. So he willingly was attached to a tree. The mama worm willingly attaches to a tree, and she's going to die there. And so she lays her eggs. And then on the, the, the eggs hatch. And for the first three days that the uh, baby worms are there with the mother, they consume the body of the mother. Remember what Jesus said, this is my body, take, eat. It was broken for you. And so they consume. While they're doing that, she oozes a bright red crimson fluid. That's how she gets her name. Well, what did Jesus do when he was attached to the cross? He... He shed his red blood for us. He says, I am that worm in uh, Psalm 22, verse 6. All right, so on day four, the baby worms uh, leave. They have been permanently stained red by this crimson fluid of the mother. Well, Jesus blood when we receive jesus as our savior it permanently covers our sin and so uh, the mama worm uh, attaches herself to a tree and dies on that tree to birth her family jesus was willingly attached to the cross to the tree he died on that tree to birth a family and that's those who have put their faith and trust in him Uh, it says in Isaiah one 18, uh, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Well, why do I mention that? Well, on day four, that, uh, what's left of the mother has a dramatic change in a matter of minutes. It changes from red to it's a snow white, and it looks like a little piece of wool stuck on the side of the tree, and it's a it's a waxy material, and it begins to flake off and looks like snow as <laughs> it drops to the ground. Jesus said, though your sins be like crimson, and that's the word tolaoth right there in Isaiah 118. Though they be like the crimson worm, uh, they shall be as wool, and that's what it looks like at that particular stage. Uh, he also uh, uses that in Isaiah 66, 24, is it? It's uh, where it says, let me, I'm looking here at my Bible. Let me just see if I can find that quickly. Isaiah 66, I think it's 66, 24. It's right there at the end where uh, Jesus is talking about people who die without uh, him. And uh, it says... If I can, uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Here we go. Uh, Isaiah 66:24. They shall go forth and look upon the carcass. It's the last verse in Isaiah. They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. So people have died. They've transgressed against our Lord. They've never received him as Savior. Their sins were not forgiven. He says, for their worm, Tolaoth. There it is again, that same crimson worm. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. And so he's saying, you know what? If you don't receive Jesus, the worm won't die. If the mother worm doesn't die, she can't give birth to her family. Uh, She can't give birth to her baby worms. If Jesus didn't die on the tree, You're still in your sin. And he quotes that one in Mark chapter 9. If I recall, it's down there about 45, 6, 7. And he says things like, well, if your eye offendly, plug it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two eyes. Go into hell where the worm dieth not. He quotes it right out of Isaiah. And Hmm. then there's one more in Job. Uh, The shortest chapter in Job, he says, uh, let's see, Job, Psalms, Proverbs here. Um, In 20, I think it's 25, if I can just get there. In Job 25, it says, and on my pages, here we go. Uh, Job 25, verse 6, that's the last verse of this this little teeny chapter here. It says, how much less man that is a worm, rema, normal word for worm, and the son of man, which is a worm, tolaoth. Well, Jesus in the Gospels is referred to as the son of man. Jesus says he is the tolaoth worm. I think the Book of Job, which is probably the earliest written book we had, is yeah. is prophesying that the Savior, the Son of Man, is going to come, and he's going to be like the Tolaoth worm. He's going to be attached to a tree, he's going to shed his red blood to give birth to his family, the church. Uh, so when we what what does the Bible say? It says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he says the wages of that sin is death. And so what does that mean? Well, that means we earn it. We earn separation from God because we sin, and then we refuse to receive his his way of having our sin forgiven which is through Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says he he demonstrates, he, he commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we all need to know that we're sinners, and we all do. I mean, we've all stolen something. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all lusted about something. We're all sinners, so we're not righteous. Well, then, what can we do about that how can we get rid of this sinfulness and get the righteousness we need to go into the presence of a righteous and holy God we need to receive Jesus that's God's provision by Jesus comes salvation by Adam came death well why why did Adam die well because he sinned I think Adam was designed to live forever but he sinned now he has to die Well, Jesus came. He didn't sin, so he can't die because sin, I mean, death is the punishment for sin. That means there can't be death before Adam, by the way. And so uh, Jesus comes, lives a perfect life. He doesn't sin, so he can't die. But he did die. Why? Because he took our sin on himself at the cross. And why? So that he could take the punishment for our sin, and give us freely his righteousness so that we can spend eternity with him so i didn't do that till i was 27 years old i received the lord jesus as my savior at age 27 and if people listening to this need jesus i would pray that they will deal with that uh and and put their faith and trust in our creator by the way as our Creator, the Lord Jesus, He is the Creator, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. So Jesus is the Creator. That gives Him the right and the authority to be our Savior. So I would pray that people will put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. He created them just like all these creatures we've talked about. He created it all so that we could see His handiwork and His genius and His love and His care, and then we could have a fellowship with Him through his son jesus christianity is not a religion it's a relationship with the living god so michael i want to thank you for having me and you'll want to say some more things here i'm sure
0: oh that that was wonderful guys yeah if there's anybody out there listening uh that does not know christ who has not placed their faith and trust in him and had all of those things that they have done against the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, forgiven, blotted out, covered up. Um, I beg you, really think about that. Pray about that. Uh, I, I hope and pray that uh, tonight, while you're sitting by yourself, uh, you would speak to the one who not only created the heavens and the earth, but who Loves you so much that even when you thumb your nose at him, even when you do all those things that offend him, uh, what Christians call sin, uh, he would still willingly come down and be that sacrifice for you. Taking the punishment that that you deserve, that I deserve, upon himself. It truly is amazing. And uh, yeah, please think about that. Wow. Okay. So uh, Dr. Martin, I know you're in a hurry really quick. I've seen your, your three videos, the incredible creatures that defy evolution. What is this other series that I'm seeing on your website? Uh, The creation proclaims videos.
1: Well, we have a a series. I think there's four in that one creation proclaims. And the uh, the only big difference between it and the incredible creatures is that I'm with a lot of the animals. So I'm with, the python and the porcupine and, and the gibbons, and so I'm with a lot of the animals. And uh, we're now, actually, we're starting a new one. We're working on it right now, Animals of Alaska, and it'll be another different kind. So we've got three incredible creatures. We've got two, three, four. We have four of in the Creation proclaimed series, and then we have a new series that we've, we're we just starting the first one. Well, we're not just starting. We're hoping to have it finished here in a couple months. But, yes, there are others. hmm
0: Oh, excellent. Okay, I will uh, uh, definitely go and pick up those Creation Proclaimed videos. And as soon as the Alaska one comes out, the at least part one, sounds like there's going to be more than one, um, I'll make sure I get it and I'll contact you and see if you'd be interested in coming back on and we can talk about it a little bit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, Dr. Martin, it has been amazing, uh, a really fun time and uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Okay, well, thanks for having me, Michael. God bless you. And maybe I can close with a word of prayer. Would that be okay?
0: That would be perfectly fine. Go for it.
1: Father, we just thank you that you're in control of all things. Thank you that you, our Heavenly Father, through the power of your Spirit and the agency of the Lord Jesus, created everything. And as our Creator, uh, you loved us, your creature. You knew we would sin, and so you yourself in the person of your Son, our Creator, took that sin on yourself at Calvary so that we could be forgiven and be washed as white as snow. And thank you for that, Father. And I pray anybody that listens to this will come to faith in the Lord Jesus so all of us will be in heaven together one of these days. I pray for Michael and his ministry that you would bless it, uh, use it in, in, in ways to bring um, people into the family of Christ and to make disciples of Christians to help them to understand and then be able to contend for the faith. That they will be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks them of the hope that they have. They'll be able to do that with gentleness, meekness, kindness, and uh, love. And then I pray that we will walk in a manner worthy of you, that we will please you in every way, that we'll bear fruit in every good work, and we'll all keep increasing in the knowledge of God. In Jesus' strong name, I pray. Amen. Yes.
0: Amen. All right, guys. That's it. Well, we'll stop right here. Uh, Again, (laughs) it's kind of a task, and I understand why nobody has uh, offered their services, but if there is anybody out there that would be interested in taking uh, the audios of my podcast and maybe just one a week, but taking an audio and converting it to a YouTube video. Um, I don't imagine this taking too much of a person's time, uh, unlike Seth, who is taking my old podcasts And splicing them together, because my old podcasts were like 5 to 15 minutes in length. Splicing them all together. Seth has a lot of editing to do. Whoever does this, um, my guess is you're probably not going to put more than 30, maybe 45 minutes into it a week. But in doing so, you're going to take part in this ministry, getting... Uh, these podcasts onto a new medium that, uh, I again, I've mentioned this before, I don't get it. I don't know why somebody would go to YouTube to listen to a podcast, but a lot of people do, believe it or not. So basically, you would be taking a podcast, the audio, importing it into a video software, which many of them are free, so you wouldn't even have to purchase anything, uh, unless you already have one. And then uh, taking pictures and kind of importing them into this. And then you just hit export as an MP3 or uh, as a video and it converts it. You walk away, you go have a coffee or whatever, come back 15, 20 minutes later and it's ready to go. Uh, so, anyway, if anybody is interested, uh, it would be a tremendous blessing. Uh, let me know. Get a hold of me on Facebook. Or you can email me, youthapologetictraining at gmail.com. And with that, uh, next week we are going to be hearing from Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. Uh, We're kind of getting several weeks in a row where we're talking about evolution. Well, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Sarfati about the origin of life. This is going to be fun. Uh, And so look forward to that. And with that... You guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it